Chapter sixty nine of Thomas Wingfold, Curate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Thomas Wingfold, Curate by George MacDonald. Sixty nine. Bascom and the Magistrate. After dinner, the cousins went into the summer-house, and there George gave Helen his report, revealing his plan and hope for Leopold. "'Such fancies must be humoured, you know, Helen. There is nothing to be gained by opposing them,' he said. Helen looked at him with keen eyes, and he returned the gaze. The confidence betwixt them was not perfect. Each was doubtful as to the thought of the other, and neither asked what it was. A fine old cock is Mr. Hooker, said George, a jolly good-natured brick-faced squire, a Tory, of course, and a sound churchman, as simple as a baby, and took everything I told him without a hint of doubt or objection, just the sort of man I expected to find him. When I mentioned my name, etc., he found he had known my father, and that gave me a good start. Then I lauded his avenue and apologised for troubling him so early, and on Sunday, too but said it was a pure work of mercy in which I begged his assistance, as a magistrate, I added, lest he should fancy I had come after a subscription. It was a very delicate case, I said, in which were concerned the children of a man of whom he had, I believed, at one time known something. General Lingard. To be sure, he cried, knew him very well, a fine fellow, but hasty, sir, hasty in his temper. I said I had never known him myself, but one of his children was my cousin the other was the child of his second wife a hindu lady unfortunately and it was about him i presumed to trouble him then i plunged into the matter at once telling him that leopold had had violent brain fever brought on by a horrible drug the use of which if use i dare call it he had learnt in india and that although he had recovered from the fever it was very doubtful if ever he would recover from the consequences of it for that he had become the prey of a fixed idea, the hard deposit from a heated imagination. "'And pray, what is the idea?' he asked. "'Neither more nor less,' I answered, "'than that he is a murderer.' "'God bless me!' he cried, somewhat to my alarm, for I had been making all this preamble to prejudice the old gentleman in the right direction, lest afterwards Leopold's plausibility might be too much for him. So I echoed the spirit of his exclamation, declaring it was one of the saddest things i had ever known that a fellow of such sweet and gentle nature one utterly incapable of unkindness not to say violence should be so possessed by misery and remorse for a phantom deed no more his than if he had dreamed it a thing he not only did not do but never could have done i had not yet however told him i said what was perhaps the saddest point in the whole sad story namely that the attack had been brought by the news of the actual murder of a lady to whom he had been passionately attached the horror of it had unhinged his reason then turned and fastened upon his imagination so that he was now convinced beyond the reach of argument or even the clearest proof that it was his own hand that drove the knife to her heart then i recalled to his memory the case as reported adding that the fact of the murderous prolonged evasion of justice appeared by some curious leisure de main of his excited fancy if not to have suggested 
of that I was doubtful, yet to have ripened his conviction of guilt. Now nothing would serve him but he must give himself up, confess. No, that was not a true word in this case. Accuse himself of the crime, and meet his fate on the gallows. In the hope, observe, my dear sir, I said, of finding her in the other world, and there making it up with her. God bless me, he cried again, in a tone of absolute horror, and every now and then while I spoke he would ejaculate something, and still as he listened his eyes grew more and more bloodshot with interest and compassion. Ah, I see, he said then, you want to send him to a madhouse. Don't do it, he continued, in a tone of expostulation, almost entreaty. Poor boy, he may get over it. Let his friends look to him. He has a sister, you say. I quickly reassured him, telling him such was no one's desire, and saying, I will come to the point in a moment, only there was one thing more which had interested me greatly, as revealing how a brain in such a condition will befool itself, all but generating two individualities. There, I am afraid I put my foot in it, but he was far too simple to see it was cloven. Ha ha! And I hasten to remark that, as a magistrate, he must have numberless opportunities of noting similar phenomena. He waved his hand in deprecation, and I hasten to remark that, up to a certain point, whatever hint the newspapers had given, Leopold had expanded and connected with every other, but that at one part of the story I had found him entirely at fault. He could not tell what he did, where he went, or how he had felt, first after the deed was done he confessed all after that was a blank until he found himself in bed but when i told him something he had not seen which his worship might remember the testimony namely of the coast guardsman about the fishing boat and the two men in it i had here to refresh his memory as to the whole of that circumstance and did so by handing him the newspaper containing it that was what i made you give me the paper for I have lost the thread of my sentence, but never mind. I told him then something I have not told you yet, Helen, namely, that when I happened to allude to that portion of the story, Leopold started up with flashing eyes and exclaimed, Now I remember. It all comes back to me as clear as day. I remember running down the hill and jumping into the boat just as they shoved off. I was exhausted and fell down in the stern. When I came to myself, the two men were forward. I saw their legs beneath the sails. I thought they would be sure to give me up, and at once I slipped overboard. The water revived me, but when I reached the shore I fell down again, and lay there I don't know how long. Indeed, I don't remember anything more except very confusedly. That is what Leopold said, and what I now told Mr. Hooker. Then at last I opened my mind to him as to wherein I ventured to ask his assistance and my petition was that he would allow me to bring Leopold, and would let him go through the form of giving himself up to justice. Especially I begged that he would listen to all he had to say, and give no sign that he doubted his story. And then, sir, I concluded, I would leave it to you to do what we cannot, reconcile him to going home instead of to prison. He sat with his head on his hand for a while, as if pondering some weighty question of law, then he said suddenly it is now almost church time i will think the matter over you may rely upon me will you take a seat in my pew and dine with us after 
I excused myself on the ground that I must return at once to poor Leopold, who was anxiously looking for me. And you must forgive me, Helen, and not fancy me misusing Fanny, if I did yield to the temptation of a little longer ride. I have scarcely more than walked her, with a canter now and then, when we had the chance of a bit of turf. Helen assured him with grateful eyes that she knew Fanny was as safe with him as with herself, and she felt such a gush of gratitude followed the revival of hope that she was nearer being in love with her cousin to ever before. Her gratitude inwardly delighted George, and he thought the light in her blue eyes lovelier than ever. But although strongly tempted, he judged it better to delay a formal confession until circumstances should be more comfortable. End of chapter 69